page 43. Page 43. Hallelujah. For those of you that don't know how we navigate through this book, we don't read line for line, word for word. Um, certain things I think is very important for you. I'm going to talk about um, during Bible study. But on your own, you can go through it. And the stuff that you felt like, you know, you need to go back and look at, that's great. Um, but we're just going to go through certain things that we feel are very pertinent. 43. Understand this. This chapter is going to focus a lot on intentional lifestyle. Intentional lifestyle. That, that's a mouthful in itself. Because a lot of us are, leave, are living however the wind blows you, but you expect to get a certain result. Christians do that. We just live anyhow we want. As long as we get a little bit of time to check in in the Bible study, check in church time. But we need the results that the Bible said we need to get. And um, don't always work that way. Some days God will be merciful and give you some results. Other days he's going to say, you've been around long enough. You should know better. No result. Do it the right way. Uh huh. So we have to live our life intentionally in Christ. And not just, oh, hum, by the way, um, well, I'll do this tonight. Oh, can't do that tonight. I got something else going. That's, that, that's the Bible likes to talk about, um, you're like a chaff in the wind. You ever see a chaff? It's just tumbleweed or sometimes it can, just, it, it, it can be tissue. Any little thing. That when the wind starts blowing, it's just flying all over the place. And when we were kids, we try to grab it, and then it blows to some place as you missed it, and it just you never catch up to it. Just being, it's it's blowing wherever the wind sends it. And if we don't live our spiritual life, our life in Christ intentionally, we're going to be like a chaff in the wind, and the wind will determine the results, not you. All right, you can live for God and have good morals. joy, and fulfillment in Christ. But if you're not taking someone on the journey with you, then you have not discovered your ultimate purpose as a disciple. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Someone making disciples is also doing all of that But he or she has learned the dimension of living an intentional life. So, I can't get away from this. This is way out the way that I'm going to say something, bring it in the way. I don't know how this works, but I just got to tell you how I feel sometimes. Um, This is for wife and husband. This is for every relationship. Every relationship. But I think this is very, very important when the Lord said this in the book of Genesis. Genesis. The Bible says, and God said, it is not good that man should be alone. That's a very, very big statement that I think we may have overlooked a lot. And what I'm surmising a lot is God is saying, I'm your God. I've already told you I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But why is he saying it's not good that man should be alone when he, we have him? We have God, but God is saying it's not good that man should be alone. And I'm just convinced, like nobody else can tell me, that this life that we live, this existence that we have, is all about relationships. I'm just convinced. It's not about anything else. It's not about everything that we spend time trying to do. That's not what this life is about. This life is about relationships. And so when you get saved, the question is, or when you become a Christian, or when you become a disciple, the question is, what kind of relationships do you have? Once you get to be a Christian, you're supposed to understand this life is about relationships. What are you doing with these relationships? What are they all about? 
And so if we're Christians and we're not taking someone along with us on this journey, then you're not living life to the fullest. And you're going to keep on saying in your private time, in your quiet time, in whatever time, something is just not altogether right. I just feel like something is missing. And I believe what is always missing is relationship. Here's more proof. God said the church is the body of Christ. And if you know anything about God, God gives us clues that we need to pay attention to. And if the church is a body and he says that the hand can't do what the feet can do and the you know, the, the elbow can't do what the knee can do. And we, it gives you all the description about these things all function on their own, but together they work together. And so what we've learned about God is he never made anything self-sufficient. He doesn't make anything self-sufficient. That's what, he's the only self-sufficient one. That's why he's God. Everything else in this world needs something or other things or other people to help them accomplish what they ought to accomplish as an individual. Nobody's self-sufficient. So if he made, if he calls the church his body and it's supposed to work together, but at the same time do its part to contribute to the whole part, then I believe he created us individually like that. And what that means is, I may be good in this, but there's something that I'm missing and I will never get it until I connect with the person I'm supposed to connect with. <laughs> he, he's consistent. That's how he created his body, the church. So he talks about and he gave the, the church gifts, some apostles, some prophets, you know, pastors and teachers and evangelists. You know, he's saying for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So why couldn't he just give an apostle and the apostle takes care of everything? God is consistent in how he does things. You need something else or somebody else or a few things or a few people in your life. And you will never get it if you just stay to yourself. Because now you will never know. You'll never know. So you just keep on doing your own thing and you'll keep on missing it. Making disciples... Um, what is that? Uh, second paragraph. Making disciples mean having a front row seat as you watch the grace of God develop lasting spiritual fruit within believers. Disciple making is the most exciting life in the world. So making disciples, you're not really making disciples, you're just Serving the will of God and God is working in the individual's life and making disciples. You have a front row seat as God work in people's life. And that's some of the most amazing thing that you can ever experience. I'm telling you, if you ever make one disciple, you will always feel compelled to keep making more disciples. Because how it work is you usually meet someone and they don't know anything about Christ. They don't even know anything. And you invest your time into their life. And they went from, I don't know, to all of a sudden now one of you. And you're looking like, this is crazy. Brother Henry and Brother White, when I look at them, I say, it's crazy. Because I remember the day when they don't know who Jesus is. And then I see them today, I'm like, this is crazy. How does that work, Lord? You, you can't even take the credit. You just know you was the one that invested your time. But you just still can't. I can't even figure it out by myself. And you probably can't even figure it out about yourself. Like, how did you get me here, Lord? Ask that about yourself. How did he get you here? How did you ever get to this place of Christian, lifting my hands, worshiping the Lord, clapping, praising God, praying, and really believing he's hearing my prayers? How did you ever get here? It has been said that if you love your job, then you never have to work a day in your life. Using the same expression, if you love to make disciples, then you never have to go to church 
a day in your life because you bring church with you everywhere you go. Keep in mind that the first century church did not worship predominantly in the dedicated space. Look at Acts chapter 5 verse 42 and it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Teaching and preaching Jesus Christ sounds like doing and being the church because whenever you talk about Jesus, he shows up. This is an exciting life to be a disciple maker. Because when you get involved, there's always challenges. Everybody is different. And you're watching them develop. You're watching them ask you questions. You're involved. How is, let me ask you this question, Yvonne. Um, how is Karina? Yeah. She asks you questions. Uh-huh. So when, you, when, when you're getting involved with people's life, you got to be on your toes. Things you take for granted, they want to know about. And so sometimes they make you think when you normally wouldn't think. It's very important to get into this disciple-making business. The first century disciples did not live their lives intentionally one day a week while on the other while on their way to corporate worship, they did not go to the particular central address. I, I, I wrote it in my book so much that some of it once a week to do ministry. I'm writing all over things in here. They ministered daily and from house to house. Look at Acts chapter 3 verse 1. I think that's an important text right there I want to look at real quick. Because our book is saying... That the disciples didn't just go to church that one day a week. They, they were the church, expressing the church every day. And it wasn't always about the building. Acts chapter 3, verse number 1 said this. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alm, and Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple Walking and leaping and praising God. That is a lot going on there. The first thing that's going on there, I feel a little guilty when I read that. Because I'm one of those people that get so locked in and focused when I'm getting ready to do something that I really don't see anything else. That's good and bad. And I know that about myself. That's good and bad. Um, but Peter and John has given us a lesson. They were on their way to prayer. But because they lived their life intentional, because they lived their life knowing that they, they are disciple makers, they're always looking for the opportunity to reach out to someone. Because guess what? God knows all who will be reached, but we don't know. So our duty is always to at least pay some attention. At least try to extend ourselves because we don't know, is this the one, Lord? Sometimes he will let you know, other times he won't let you know. And so Peter and John was going to prayer, and I can picture me going to prayer. Yeah, I'm getting ready to get an hour, and I'm like, I want to just talk to the Lord tonight. I'm just excited about talking to Jesus and the dude, arms, arms, arms. And I'm probably not even focused on the dude. Man. 
And Peter and John, when he said arms, turned around. Hey, man, how you doing? Silver and gold have we none. I know you want some money, but we don't have any money. So we were going into the temple to pray. We don't have any money. But you know what? We already sense the power of God right with us. So I tell you what, how about you stretch your hand out? And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And he, in the name of Jesus Christ, the man got up and walked. That's what God is expecting from all of us how we live our life, is to always see, to always be attentive to be available to God. Let me say it that way. That's what he's looking for from us, for us to be attentive to being available to him and not just doing our own thing. Not to mention our own thing. What does it ever do for us anyway? But we're still doing our own thing. But the deal is God is saying, will you make yourself available? And, and, and please, we don't need to be intimidated. You know, I don't know. We've been selling spirituality like it's like hocus pocus and you know, it's some weird thing and you got to get geared up for it. Sometimes God, most of the time God uses you and it's just the normal thing that's going on and you don't even realize you're being used by God. So you don't have to get geared up. Oh man, I got to feel the Holy Ghost, you know. I, I got to feel the ghost. I got to feel the power of God before I can do No, just be available to God. Just be available to God. And if we can make ourselves available to God, then God will work through us to do some great things in people's life. And we don't take any credit for it. We just know we were just available to God. This is why I always say God is looking for availability, not ability. Your ability don't mean anything to God. Whatever ability you have came from God. So God don't need your ability. He needs your availability. So as you go about your day, he's saying, how much are you allowing yourself to be available to me? Because I can work through you and do some great things. But if you're not available, then I can't do it. Third paragraph. Obviously, nothing can take the place of corporate worship. In fact, serious disciples understand that they must be and that it must be an, an integral part of a local congregation that provides vision accountability, spiritual covering, and structure. In the 21st century, we have the best of both worlds of public worship in church, temple, and private worship in the house. The best place for vision, correction, direction, and inspiration is the public house of worship, the church. But the best place to make disciples on a relational and fellowship level is a private setting like a house. In such a location, there's comfort, intimacy, and a controlled environment. And yes, some food. The early disciples frequently broke bread together. Focus, I'm sorry, food can be spiritual if it is intentionally structured around Christ-centered relationships. So here is how we got to understand our life. When we come here, this is the public thing we do. But all of us have a public and a private life. All of us. We have a public life and a private life. So when we come here, we do the public thing. When we leave here, we do the private thing. So God is looking for us to do both. He did that. Remember when he met the woman at the well? Private. When he goes in the temple? Public. So he went and taught. You go to look at Luke chapter 4. Don't go there and look. I'm just telling you where it is. In Luke chapter 4, it talked about him going into the synagogue and, you know, teaching. But then we read him at the well. And then, you know, we, we read about when he fed the 5,000. That they all gathered, you know, he ministered to them. So he had private times where he ministered one-on-one and he had public times where he was corporately together with everybody. That's how your life is supposed to be. That's how my life is supposed to be. But don't miss this part, that in all of it, we are in the mindset of making disciples. 
We're trying to touch somebody's life. We're trying to do what we were created to be, which is relational. Don't forget that. Relationship is what God created us for. Every kind of relationship. That's why you're here. And when you just focus your life on you, you are defeating the purpose of why you're here. Because you don't even realize when you stay by yourself, you're taken away from yourself. Because what you need, God has it ready for you, but it's in somebody else. And whether you like that or not, that's just how God do his business. He's saying, I didn't gift anybody with everything. He said, I wouldn't do it. Because then they wouldn't need anybody. I made sure everybody had need in their life when I created them. And that need can be fulfilled by somebody else. It is not good that man should be alone. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. And I'll go down the road real quick and mess around with y'all a little bit. I said, in marriages, it's a shame when people are married and feel lonely. The Bible says it's not good that man should be alone. So when Adam was on the scene chilling, he had God. We don't know when Eve came on the scene. We know that Adam and God was together for a minute. We don't know when Eve came on the scene. So why did God say Adam needed somebody when God and Adam was just doing their thing together? God didn't, Adam didn't need God. I mean, Adam didn't need man. He had God. And God is everything. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. Our breath came from him. All of that good stuff. So we need God. But God know we need each other too. So he said, it's not good that you should be alone. So I'm going to create something for you that you can relate to and something you can offer something to and they can offer something to you. So God's principle of we give and others give to us is still what goes on today. So when you stay by yourself, when you do your own thing, you're, 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 you're taken away from yourself. You're hindering yourself. You're, you're not being the full you that you can be because what you need to be who you need to be, it's in someone else. And whether we want to like it or not, unfortunately, that's the way God did it. Complain to the creator. So we have to take heed to that and realize I got to interact with people. I have to kind of, you know, get involved because I don't know who it is that God will allow to impact my life in a great way. I've seen it um, in, in my life spiritually. I can see some areas of my life where I got to some place where I'm just like, OK, I'm here. I know I need to go further, but I don't really know how that looks. I don't know where that will come from. I don't know what to do. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm trying to live for God, but I'm just right here. And then finally God connected me with somebody else. And when he connected me with that somebody else, here we go. The journey continues, but in a different way now. But if I didn't connect with that person, then maybe I would still be going like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And so a lot of times we're frustrated and we're stuck and we feel like, oh, you know, nothing is happening. And I guarantee you when you feel that, here is the clue. I guarantee you're not doing a lot of interacting with people. Just look, look at the time where you felt like, I just don't feel like anything is moving in my life. I just feel like I need something more. I just feel like things are just not working. Every time you think like that, just go back and look and see who was in your life at that time. Who were you interacting with at that time? Because that will answer your question real good. Believers not engaged in disciple making may be living for God, but they are not living intentionally. So as to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, I would venture a guess that the vast majority of apostolic believers do not consciously have continual thoughts about potential disciples God may place in their path on a daily basis. Because of my life, every Sunday, every Thursday, anytime I'm here and somebody walk in those doors, because of what has happened to me, 
I say, that's potentially another great man of God. That's potentially another great woman of God. I cannot take anybody for granted that walked through either of these doors. Because I didn't know what I was going to be when I walked in the doors the first time of the church. So if I didn't know what I was going to be and I see what happened, then I have to be smart enough to realize everybody that walks in these doors, God can do something great in their life. So I better start seeing them as that. And I would like for you to do the same thing. You, it doesn't matter what they look like. doesn't matter what they talk like. doesn't matter where they're coming from. It doesn't matter what their experience or their experiences are. You just don't know what God is going to do. All you want to do is make sure you do your part. Because if you're part of the answer to what God is going to do in their life and you want to be standoffish, I don't know about them. You're taken away from yourself and you're taken away from that person when you want to stand off. When you want to just sit in your own comfort zone, you're taken away from yourself and you're taken away from that person. And you are hindering the plan of God, which is another concern there you don't want to mess around with. All right. Uh, let's jump down to the next paragraph. There are several scripture verses speaks to intentional living. Psalms 37, 23 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his ways. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Based on these two passages alone, it is apparent that God orders and directs the daily path of each children, each of his children. Here's what we know. God loves lost people, and he wants to reach them with his saving grace. And he deliberately planned for us to help him do that. So if he has his mind on someone who needs to be saved, he may choose you or me, to get his message to them. So here's what we don't know. We don't know what's going on in anybody's life. We don't know if God has that person on his mind and say, today is their day. And now God is saying to you, he might not tell you today is their day, but he knows today is their day. And I'm going to use you now, Chuby, to get this process going. What are you going to do? If you don't pray and seek God, you won't know where to go, which way to turn. This is why your daily prayers are important. This is why your morning prayers are important. Because when you pray, you say, God, will you order my steps today? When you pray, you say, God, I'm going to trust in you and lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways, I will acknowledge you because I want you to direct my path. And you pray and say, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God, today I submit under your authority and only what you want will I do. And you just pray, God, open my eyes to see the things that are important to you. Fill my mind with your wisdom that I can touch somebody's life. So now when you pray that prayer, guess what you're doing? You are now being available to God throughout your day. Whatever you're doing, you're available in your mind because you've already prayed. So now you're expecting God to answer the prayer that you prayed. God answers your prayers. But if we wake up... And do this. God, I thank you for this day. Your mercies are new every day. And I thank you. And God, I pray that you will protect me and keep me. Let no harm or danger come to me. Lord, watch over my family. In Jesus' name. That sounds like a good prayer to me. But it's not a prayer that you helping anybody today. So you're not looking to help anybody. You just prayed for your own self. You just prayed for your own protection. You just prayed for your children's protection. So now you're going about your business that whole day just worrying about you. And you're not expecting God to do anything in anybody's life because all you prayed for was you. But if you change your prayers and start to pray, God, I want your will be done. When you start to pray for God to touch people's life, then that's a whole different ballgame now. 
Now, wherever you're going, you're thinking in your mind, could this be the person that he's going to allow me to speak to today? And so you're walking lightly. Could this be the person? And you just keep on going. Sometimes you're like, oh, that's not the person. And you keep going, you smile. But you're walking gently. You're walking, paying attention. Jump down to the next uh, paragraph there. This is powerful. We're on page 46. Ananias, in the book of Acts chapter 9, is an example of just such a case of divinely inspired and direct, directed encounter. The first thing that stands out about Ananias is the scripture says he was a disciple. Hmm. He was not an apostle, prophet, pastor, or evangelist. He was simply a disciple. He does not appear to have been flamboyant or outgoing. In fact, he questioned God about the sincerity of Saul's intention, showing his cautious nature. Being described as a disciple simply means that he was a devout follower of Jesus Christ and living his life intentionally with a heart for others. You may think I am reading something into the text that is not there, but it appears that this was the expectation of all believers in the first century. He was not only a disciple in name and title, but also in function. So we know the story about Ananias. Ananias is the guy that led the great apostle Paul to his salvation. Jesus started it. Ananias fulfilled the part he needed to fulfill. So we know Paul was on his way to, on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden the bright light shined on him. He fell to the ground. Jesus spoke to him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he heard the voice, but he didn't see anybody. And the apostle Paul responded and says, who art thou, Lord? Because now he knows this is something heavy because this voice is talking to me saying, why you persecute me? I don't see anybody, but I know this voice is something special. So he responded by with great reverence. That's he says, who art thou, Lord? And you know what I like to teach right here. I said, why didn't God say it is almighty God? God didn't say. Paul, it's almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. He could have said that, but he didn't. You know what he said to Paul? It is Jesus. Because Paul had to understand you're persecuting people because they're believing in Jesus Christ, who is God. You're persecuting these people for their belief when they, they're right. So I have, to let, I have to let you know my true identity. If I tell you it's the almighty God, that's my title. But when I told him it was Jesus, now you know who I am, and so you know these people are not frauds. They really knew who they were serving, who they were worshiping, and so now they understand. So Paul now understands, oh, snap, so this is this conversion. Remember what I told you about conversion. Oh, man, I'm going to get off track now. Nobody can actually really get saved until they know Jesus. You can do the, 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 the works that the... Scripture say to do, but you never really get saved until you know Jesus. So the Apostle Paul had reverence. The Apostle Paul was on his way, but Jesus had to introduce himself to him. It is I, Jesus. So now he realized, you're telling me that dude that was in the flesh, that's the almighty God, huh? And I'm walking around here persecuting people who believe that. Oh, my goodness. What have I done now? That's how his, his conversion came. And so because he had a bad reputation. Remember when he fell, he got blinded. And so now he was in a place praying. I don't have to worry about God getting to you. You're going to have to work hard to go to hell if you go to hell. You're just a stubborn bull if you go to hell. Because God will do everything he needs to do to get your attention. 
But at some point, some of us are so stubborn, we're like, that ain't God. Okay. But God made sure he was blinded to the point where now he had to pray. All of this stuff, he had to call on the name of Jesus. Now he know who Jesus is. And so now he's in his place praying to Jesus now. Because this is after the Lord says, it is I, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against a prick. And so now he's blinded. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, he fasting three days. Oh, forgive me. I just realized I persecuted him. While he was praying, God spoke to his disciple, Ananias, who was also praying or available to God. So Ananias was available. God says, Ananias, my disciple, there's this dude, Saul of Tarsus, that's praying. I want you to go see him, and I want you to pray for him, because he must suffer many things for my name's sake. So go see Ananias, whoa, 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 Jesus. That dude is killing some people, and he's going after people, and I'm hiding from that dude. I don't want that dude to come my way at all. The Lord said, no, no, just go ahead. He, he must suffer many things from me. So Ananias was skeptical because he knew what this dude was about. But when Jesus touched someone's life, man, doesn't matter who they are, what they used to do, when he touched their life. And so he touched Paul. And so when Ananias showed up, Ananias already knew what God was going to do. You see that relationship? Ananias prayed. God gave him specific direction. So he approached Paul with confidence. When he approached Paul, he went to him before he started praying. And he said, Brother Paul, the Lord has sent me. He called him brother before he was baptized. <laughs> I, I stole that. So nowadays when, you know, I've done it over the years, people come to church and I see God working their life. I start calling them brother because I know what I'm doing. I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul. He was called brother before he was actually a brother. Because God already showed his disciple, his servant, Ananias, this dude is going to do some great things for me. And so Ananias went and prayed for him, laid hands on him, and his blindness left him. And he received the Holy Ghost. And then Paul took him to baptize him. I mean, Ananias took him to baptize him. And all of that just comes from you waking up every day, praying to God to say, use me to fulfill your purpose today. Let me be aware. Fill me with your wisdom that somebody's life can be touched. Whoever you have prepared and ready to be saved today, Lord God, if they're going to cross my path, Lord, let me be aware and be ready to be used of you. Those are the kind of prayers we need to pray every single day. Because if you really want to be quite honest, I really don't have to pray for protection. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The purpose of God will always be accompanied with the power of God. The purpose of God will always be accompanied with the power of God. So here's what it comes down to. As long as I'm fulfilling the purpose of God, the power of God is operating in my life. Because God can't have me do what he needs me to do with no power, with no authority. I can't. If you want scripture, in Mark chapter 16, in verse 20, it says, And they went forth preaching the gospel everywhere, the Lord working with them. When you go make disciples, the Lord work with you when you go do the will of god the lord work with you you can be just like peter and john and says in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk and you've been living for god probably about two weeks deal with the holy ghost but the, the it's not about you it's about god accomplishing his mission and you made yourself available and so god worked through you ain't got nothing to do with the pastor don't have to do nothing with the minister. This is what we have to understand in our church, that this is not a title-driven church. Yes, we have title to differentiate what we need to do. But at the end of the day, the work of God gets done by everybody. 
And if you think that, oh, you're not qualified, then maybe you're not a disciple of Christ. Maybe you're not saved. Because that's the only thing that disqualifies you is if you're immature in Christ. But once you become mature in Christ, you're qualified to do anything God wants to get done. He will work through you. If you will trust God and do what God wants you to do, you will be doing some amazing thing that you didn't think you would be doing. Can you imagine the greatest apostle ever walked this earth? Some dude, just random disciple, Ananias, was the one that led him to salvation. Just think about that. It wasn't some great name. Why, why didn't Peter or Barnabas? Why, why wasn't somebody real special that have a, you know, James or one of those guys? Why, why wasn't one of those guys that led him to his salvation? Some random dude, Ananias. Some random person. You're just some random person if you want to look at it like that. And God can use you to reach the greatest soul winner that ever walked this earth. And that's what we're trying to get across to you is that we must live our life intentional every day. If we're going to be children of God, we must live our life intentional every day. And a lot of things come with that. It will be an exciting life. I know we all have different personalities, but if you start living your life intentionally, man, you will think this is wonderful. Listen, you might not believe this, but maybe my grandmom can back it up. When I was younger, I wasn't this outgoing. I, I mean, I did my thing, but I, I just wasn't this kind of guy. But the, when I started living for God, well, let me take that back. When I got into the restaurant business, which I always credit as my training ground for Christ. That was just a byproduct. I was serving tables, but that had nothing to do with serving tables. My God, he tricked me real good. He got me in a restaurant business to learn what I needed to learn to do what I needed to do for him. And so that was training, straight training. I, I counted as nothing, straight training. And God is so good, he allowed me to make a lot of money while I'm training for his business. But the deal, what it taught me is, I learned a lot of things, but one of the things it taught me was when I walk in some place, I walked in like I was the most important person there. It ain't cockiness. It ain't boasting. It's me saying, God, who do you want to reach today? Because I'm here. You can use me, Lord. I'm available. I'll do what you need me. I'll go the extra mile. Who do you want to reach in here today? And that's why I walk in every place that I walk in the way I walk in, like I own the place. And they wonder, who is this dude? Like he run the joint. It's so bad. I go to Panera. <laughs> I go to Panera in Nassau Park, right? And I always get this um, when I when I don't use the, um, the 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 self serve thing. I would go to the register, but I go to the register just because I see the cashier all the time. Her name is Nicole. See, I know her name. So I would go up, and I always see Nicole. And I'm talking to her, and she always tried to get me to become a Panera member. I'm like, ah, Nicole, I don't want to do that. So I got to talking to Nicole. Nicole says, I'm looking for another job. Here's what I tell Nicole. Go over to Mercer Mall Starbucks and tell them I sent you, and they'll give you a job. And I don't even think that I, I wasn't, I was serious. Now, how am I going to make them give her a job? I don't know, but I know I knew everybody in Mercerville Starbucks, right? So she'd go over there, and I would just tell them, hey, some girl from Panera checked, uh, you know, she, she want to work here. She gave an application. Make sure you take care of her because I know them. So I go there so much that I know them. My point is everywhere I walk in, I'm working the angles. How can I touch somebody's life because Christ want to help them? So this Nicole girl, every time I go in Panera now, I went to Panera and got a salad today. She's like, hey, did you go to Starbucks yet and apply for the job? Not yet. What are you waiting on? I know the people that, that, that are there now, they can change management, and I won't know those new people. The point is I try to talk, not because I'm a talker. I try to talk because I'm just trying my best to say, Lord, I'm available. Amen. And listen to this. One person at a time. So don't you start thinking and getting overwhelmed. That's a lot. Just what if everybody start responding... God will only allow one at a time. You can only you can only really effectively where you are right now. Maybe a little later it can change. But where you are right now, just one person. Just one. Just 
just just befriend that one person, start talking to that one person, start working with that one person, just one person. And that life is so exciting. They're calling you up and asking you all kind of questions that you can't answer some of them. Some of them you got to say, you know what, I got to get back to you on that one. It's okay. It's okay. I got to get back to you. It's okay. It's just the way it works. You won't have all the answers to all of the questions. Um, let's see. All of the, the next verses that comes up is just giving you examples of when you pray a certain way and make yourself available, how God will use you. We give the example, the book give the example here of Ananias, but there's example of um, uh, Cornelius praying and God sending Peter. Um, there's example of the Ethiopian eunuch with um, um, meeting Philip. So there are times this, this book of Acts is full of events where God sent someone, a, just a divine appointment, and used that person to reach somebody. I can't say it enough. If, if you just live for God, worrying about yourself, and trying to, fool, trying to work out all of your situation, you're going to be doing that for the rest of your life. I'm just telling you, that's a fact. For the rest of your life, you're going to be just trying to work it out. And every time you think you got it worked out, something else pop up. And you're just going to be filled with all kind of frustration trying to work your stuff out. But if you will get into growing as a, as a, as a child of God, being mature, and start the, making disciples, man, you're going to have the greatest, most fun life that you can think of. Brother Easter always talk about how much he loves his life. I mean, aside from not seeing his family all the time, just think. You go all over the country and preach, preach, preach. You love to preach and you preach the gospel and people are getting saved and that's how you make your living. Come on. God, God, God will always outdo you in taking care of you. A lot of times we worried about, I don't know, you know. I'm telling you, God will outdo you every time. If you will just do what he wants you to do, he will outdo you Every single time. Um, if you will turn to, we're going to finish up here. If you will turn to page, page 50. And we'll drop down to the last paragraph on page 50. The vision of living an intentional life as modeled by Jesus was not intended to last only for one generation. The founder of the church prescribed exactly how he wanted his mission to be executed when he said, go make disciples. One full generation later, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God's mission from the very beginning was to come in person, make disciples, and every disciple continue to pass down the same method. We have distorted the method a little bit. And so we're wondering how are we going to reach the world the way we've been doing it. But we've been doing it wrong. We have perverted the, 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 the way God said to do it. Paul referenced the pattern demonstrated by Jesus as a sustainable method of reproducing the fruit of discipleship. Paul stressed the necessity of continuing in disciple-making relationships. He used words like commit, teach, and faithful, along with the reference to his, what's that, father-son relationship with the gospel with Timothy. Very important. Um, there's another part there that says it has been, the, the drop down to the next paragraph, it has been said that when we go to heaven, the only thing we can take with us are the disciples that we make. We never thought that anything will, we'll be able to take anything to heaven, right? While this is true, it is also true that the only thing we can leave behind are the disciples we make. Uh-huh. Go to the last um, 52. Here's my last statement. This is powerful. I love this statement. 
right in the middle of the um, the second. Let me see one. The the third sentence says, "Someone said that we are not in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying, but we are in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living." We are living our life a lot of times like this is life, and when we die, that's it. Amen. That's how we live. Oh, man, let's enjoy. What what they say? Um, you only live once. And so we're living this life like you only live once. And unfortunately, we don't realize this is the short life. This is a short version. This is the short version of life. The real version of life come after we die. But we're living this life like this is it. Let's just enjoy everything here because, man, when we die, we don't have too much going on after that. <laughs> we have it backwards. We better live this life like we are living to go to the real place where we're going to have a good time, where we're going to have great life. And everything will just be wonderful. And so, discipleship. We have to make disciples. Look in your home. Look in your neighborhood. Look on your job. Look in your school. Look at the grocery store. Listen, there is something in here I, I outlined that I didn't allow, I, I didn't read with you, but I'll tell it to you. Uh, there was this guy. That says that anytime I go to the grocery store, I go to the grocery store to try to look for potential people that I can make disciples of. And while I'm looking for those people that I can make disciples of, I'll get some groceries. We said we're going to the grocery store. This guy says I'm going into the field. Where there's potential to make disciples. You know, while I'm there, I'll get some milk. I'll get some bread. I'll get some eggs. I'll get some stuff for the house. But that wasn't my first reason for being there. That's the kind of shift we need in our mindset. Is that I'm going to go see who is at the grocery store that I probably can help become a disciple of Christ. And while I'm there, I'll pick up some juice. While I'm there, i get some bread. But that's not what I'm going mainly for. I'm going because I'm going to scope somebody out. I'm going to make a small conversation and see where that leads me. That's the shift that needs to happen in our mindset. Let, let me tell you. God loves us. And he's good to us. And we're frustrating ourselves. Because we're not living how God intends for us to live. And if we will embrace, I know it's difficult because I know if you've been living a certain way for a long time and you realize that it's not good and you got to change, that's not easy. And that's what you're dealing with. You've been living your life a certain way for a long time. And what I've been teaching is very challenging. But if you want your life to be better, if you want your life to be exciting, if you want your life to be fulfilling, if you want to see the blessings of God like you've never seen it, if you want to experience the power of God if you, like you've never seen it, if you want your church services to be more livelier, if you want to feel the presence of God in your church services more, this is how you need to live your life. Listen, if you do this, when we come to church, our church services are more celebratory than us crying out, God, help us. But if we just live our life the way we've been living it, you come every week. Lord, I'm struggling. Can you help me? And if I don't preach something to you that you feel like spoke to your heart, you leave disappointed. That's if you're living your life just the way you've been living it. But if you live your life the way I've been teaching it for the past four weeks, then that changes the game. Yep. Won't matter when you come here. And... You'll be amazed. God will speak to the man of God or woman of God, whoever is preaching, according to what's going on in the church. 
I said that back in the day, long time I used to say that. People used to get frustrated sometimes with different things and how it come across. And I always say, a lot of what comes over the pulpit all depends on the congregation. He didn't think about that. Here is how it works. If you've just been struggling with prayer, what do you think God's going to do? He loves you. So if God loves you and you're struggling to pray, what do you think he's going to let the preacher preach? That's how God operates. If you're struggling with sin and you can't get over it, what do you think God's going to let the preacher preach? You see what I'm saying? Now, if you've been doing well, you know, praying and you've been, you know, really good, you know, overcoming sin and, you know, you're making disciples. Now, God is going to empower you even more to do greater things. Ah. You want God to do great things in your life? Start making disciples. And so when we come together, you won't be worrying about, oh, God, if you can just deliver me and set me free from this thing. I understand we want to get set free. I understand. I am just saying if you really want to experience God's power, if you want to walk out of here and feel like, man, I can do like Peter and John, silver and gold have I none. If you want to walk out of here feeling like that and exercising that, then be disciple makers. Because then God, you, what you will experience in your church services is God just speaking to you and empowering you. So when you go, you have this boldness and you have this authority to go and just speak God's word and you will expect. For God to do what he said he would do. If you do that. But if you just keep on living it the way you've been living it. Roller coaster. Just like I told you before. And then for periods of time, I'm, you're going to miss church. I'm not going to see you for a while. And you're going to wonder, man, what's going on? But that's just standard for everybody that don't become a disciple maker. I can check the calendar. I can go back and look over the years. If you're not a disciple maker, at some point in time, you're going to see your efforts slow down in church because you're going to feel like you're spinning your wheel sometimes. You're going to feel like there's no movement. You're going to feel like things are not happening and you're going to start to blame it on the preaching. You'll start to blame it on the praise singers. You'll start to blame it on we need more space. It's just not the same. And we you'll blame it on everything. When all it is is how you're living your life. Had nothing to do with none of it. It's how you're living your life. What they say, you can leave one place and go to another because you don't like the one place. Problem is you're still taking you. You forgot you were a part of the problem. So you can be mad as, ah, that place, okay, go ahead. Don't forget you're taking you. And when you go to the next place and that problem still happen, don't be stupid enough to think it's that place too. <laughs> no, it's not that place too. It's you, because everywhere you go, that's what happens. We gotta be, we gotta be smart enough to know that. Everywhere you go, if it continues to happen, you gotta know something with you. Hallelujah. God is good. Any questions? No questions? No? Hallelujah. You got to be full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will always work his will. <laughs> oh, my God. I love, the, I love the kingdom of God. I love the power of God. You never know what God's going to do. And if you just stay in tune with God, God will do what he's going to do. Amen. No questions. We're all good. Amen. God will stir up the nest if you don't get with it. Don't forget, don't forget what I tell you. If we just sit around and don't do it, God will stir up the nest. You have a question, Sister Monroe? Sister Monroe? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What do you want to know about that? <laughs> I know God hear my prayers. Yeah, yeah, that's your prayer. Yeah, that's how you, because that's what you have to pray. I see what happens to me. 
Here's the story. God hear not the prayers of sinners. Now, if a sinner prays the prayers of repentance, you're no longer a sinner. You're repenting of your sins. But if you want to live your life in sin and pray for God to do things, he's not going to respond to that. Yeah, 9.31. John 9.31. We want, listen, God's mercy is different from God responding to your prayers. And so sometimes people get confused thinking that because God did something for you, you're thinking, oh, he heard my, no, 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 no. He is merciful and he knows the situation and he's showing mercy to you. But it's not because you prayed so well that he need to answer you because the only prayer that God will respond to from a sinner is a prayer to repent from being a sinner to becoming a child of God. He will hear that. Because you're, you're, you're abandoning, you're, you're, you're leaving behind your sinful life to move into a life of a Christian. So, you know, I try not to talk to people a lot about that scripture, though, Sister Sharon. You know, I, I know, I, I know, I know, I know, uh, 